All right, it's a real-life love story. An Ohio couple spend more than 65 years of their lives together and, in the end, die just 11 hours apart. Ruth and Harold Napke met in third grade, third grade, and they were together all those years. And their family says it was no coincidence at all. Joining us now is the grandson of Harold and Ruth, Jeffrey Simon. Good to see you, Jeffrey. And we're so sorry for the loss of both of your grandparents, but I know that you believe that somehow God factored into this, right? Right. Good morning, and thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, they knew each other their whole lives, and um, they were devout Catholics their whole lives, and went to Sunday Mass together. Uh, Grandma was rarely seen uh, without a rosary in her hand, and towards the end of their lives, um, Grandpa had blessed Grandma with holy water, so that was just kind of a, the, uh, you know, the example they showed in their faith, and um, I think that their relationship with God really... Uh, kind of strengthen their own relationship and you kind of saw that until the very end when they were together. Sure. And, and Jeffrey, I understand one family member said in the last couple of days before they died, we saw it coming. Right. Um, Grandpa had been, both their health had kind of went downhill in the last year, especially Grandpa. You know, he would sleep for almost 20 hours a day, hmm. so he was getting very tired, very weak. and. We were kind of wondering, you know, why is he holding on for so long? And uh, finally, within that last week, you know, he was just as sick as he always been. And uh, Grandma came down with a pretty uh, severe infection. So came come the last day, uh, my mom and my aunts, and they you know, kept on telling Grandpa, you know, she's going to go. You know, it's time to let go. It's time to let go. So uh, they said that uh, he... Uh, became very calm and his health just went down very quickly from there and he passed away at 7:30 on that Sunday morning and then 6:30 that night mm. uh grandma's infection finally got to her and she passed that night so he held on for her right that's definitely what we thought mm. over the last year you know we always kind of said over the last year you know man we kind of hope and you know pray that they go together because one couldn't do without the other one and they certainly uh, surprised us by going in the same day. And I, I understand you were able to have a, a funeral, uh, a dual funeral, and had them both at the same time. Right, yeah, we had the same, in the same church, uh, all the granddaughters carried up uh, Grandma's casket, mm. and all the grandsons carried up Grandpa's casket. So on the drive over to the cemetery, we actually uh, were able to drive past their farmhouse that they raised six kids in, and uh, the current owner actually uh, had his flag a half-staff for both of them, but specifically for Grandpa because uh, he did serve in World War II. Wow, wow. You know, I was just sitting here thinking how blessed I was to have most of my grandparents around for so long like you did with both of them and the wonderful memories and lessons that they teach us. Can you share a couple of the memories that you had of your grandparents together all of those years? Uh, really, you kind of think about the little things, and that was definitely a grandma and gra grandpa always would go over on Sunday afternoons, play pinochle, play a bunch of cards, and they'd be, you know, have that same old swing music, same CD that kept on being on repeat. So it was little things like that, but then you also, you know, you, uh, you remember their, the lessons that they showed, not by, not only from what they told you, but just by the way they lived their lives, you know, the way they raised their family and their relationship with each other. So that's definitely something to take away from them. No doubt. Yeah, no kidding. He, he hung on to the end for her, and now your family feels they're together in heaven. 
Uh, yeah, there, it definitely uh, kind of softened the blow of lo losing them both at the, same, at the same time to know that, you know, they're together in a happier place and, you know, together. And that's really, you know, all you can ask for. Sure. Wow. You hear about these stories happening, uh, but to talk to you and hear your own personal account, uh, Jeffrey Simon, thanks so much for sharing your memories and uh, the life of your grandparents who were together 65 years. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. That's a great story, isn't it? All of us want relationships that are filled with love. We want relationships that last. We want relationships that are healthy and positive and make our life meaningful and, and beautiful. And that's that's true whether you know it's in your marriage. We want those kind of relationships with our with our family, with your children, your brothers and sisters, your relatives. Uh, we, we want good relationships with, with friends. We want relationships that, that, that are healthy at work. I mean, the, the truth is the quality of our relationships defines so much of our life. And, and, and that's true on every level, from marriage right down to coworkers to friends. And, and, and we're going to talk about that over the next uh, two or three weeks because you want it, I want it, and God wants it for us. This past week, uh, I exchanged text messages with several family members and friends in Kentucky and other places, and one of those was Georgiana. She and I graduated high school together. Monisa was a cheerleader with her, and we've remained friends over the years. They've stayed at our house traveling to the beach. We visited them in Richmond, Kentucky before, and so we're exchanging all these text messages over the last week and a half, you know, and, and she sent me one picture uh, of a recipe out of her cookbook, and it was the tamale pie that we make. And then uh, I've got this sausage and biscuit thing I do for breakfast that I got from, uh, from um, uh, who did I get that from? Somebody in our church. Paul Moon. That's right, Paul Moon. I got that from Paul Moon. And so she got that, and she's, you know, telling me all about passing this around to everybody, and everybody likes it and so on. And, and we exchanged text messages about the snow. They got a little bit more than we did. And she said she was so tired of going to work in zero-degree temperatures every morning and uh and so we just talked about a lot of different things, what's going on in each other's lives and with our with our family, and talked about Kentucky's really good football recruiting class for this next year. And well, we did, and we did. You see, all of us, all of us have friends. All of us need friends, and all of us want relationships, and all these different levels that last. But but here's the thing: some of us never figure out that one of the keys to having good, healthy relationships that endure is simply knowing how to talk to people the right way. A lot of marriages end because people don't know how to talk, because of the things they say and how they say them. A lot of friendships are ruined because of people's immaturity when it comes to this thing called speech, how you talk with people, what you say and how you say it. So this, this sermon series is not about marriage. It's about communication. It's about knowing how to talk because one of the things you're going to discover over the next few weeks is that God in the Bible gives us a lot of practical guidance and wisdom on how to talk, how to do it well and in a way that builds relationships and helps them last and be good because I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to die after 60-plus years of marriage deeply in love if you don't know how to talk to each other the right way. You're not going to have those kind of friendships. 
There, there are people who lose jobs because they don't know how to talk. There are people who don't get promotions. They don't get ahead in life. They have all kinds of problems because they don't have a filter on their mouth. And so this sermon series is about knowing how to talk the way God tells us how to talk because God says, listen, I created you for relationships. We all want them. So let's ask God to help us learn how to talk better so we can have better relationships. Does that sound like a good thing? So that's what we're going to do the next few weeks. Today we're going to focus on understanding the importance of speech, of talking the right way on relationships. And I want to look at one key principle, one key principle that if you don't get this one right, then the things we're going to talk about in the weeks to come won't mean quite as much to you. So that's where we're headed today. See, God tells us what all of us want, what we already know. In, in, in Psalm 133.1, he said, here's what you want. Good relationships. He said, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. God says it's a fun thing. It's a good thing to have good relationships. That's what all of us want. And what do we not want? Well, God knows that. He says, here's what you don't want, bad relationships. Proverbs 17.1, better is a dry morsel and quietness with it than a house full of feasting with strife. What we don't want is constant conflict, constant arguing. We don't want that. And God doesn't want that for us. And in our culture, we seem to increasingly be forgetting how to talk to other people. With the explosion of uh, explosion in social media, whether it's Twitter or you know something as simple as texting, it seems like like. We're saying more, but we're not saying it well. And we're saying things maybe we shouldn't even say. A lot of the news this past week sent around Marcus Smart, you know, the All-American basketball player for Oklahoma State, last weekend playing at Texas Tech out in Lubbock. You know, he had an incident with a fan in the stands. Some of y'all saw that story. He shoved him, got a technical foul, and this big uproar, he suspended for three games. Near the end of the game, he went to to block a shot, and he fell to the floor behind the basket by the first row. And as he was getting up, this 50-some-year-old guy, Texas Tech fan sitting behind him, said something to him. Now, there's some debate about what he said, but even the best scenario, even the the, the 50-some-year-old man himself admits that what he said wasn't good. And Marcus Smart, the 19-year-old basketball player, reacted, turned around him, pushed the guy. He's suspended. He's paying a price for it. And what he did was wrong. But I got to tell you, I was more offended by the fact that a 50-some-year-old man sitting front row of a basketball game had no filter on his mouth and felt he had the right to say whatever he wanted to to a 19-year-old basketball player. And they were lucky it didn't escalate into a brawl. We think sometimes we have the right to say anything we want to anyone, anywhere, anytime. That's where our culture is. I mean, all you need to do is go to the sports blogs after a basketball game. If you follow certain people on Twitter, people say all kinds of stuff they shouldn't be saying because they can do it in anonymity. But because that's where our culture is, some of us bring that into our day-to-day relationships. And because our culture has lost a filter and our culture has forgotten how to talk good, how to talk well, whatever the right 
structure is, how to do it the right way. We're following that example. Maybe not as badly, but we're saying things in our relationships and they're hindering those relationships. There's a lot of husbands and wives who are not surviving as a couple because they don't know how to talk to one another the right way. Sunday school classes and churches that fall apart because people just say stuff. See, I think the bigger issue is, is, is listen, I know there are some who don't talk. The bigger that's, that's not the big issue. Some people need to learn to talk. But the bigger issue is that most of us, when we do talk, we don't always do it well. And it's hurting us. And it's creating conflict and it's hurting our relationships. And knowing the right way to talk with the people who are part of your life goes a long way toward making those relationships better. It makes a difference. Listen to Proverbs 18, 21. By the way, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it to James chapter 3. That's where we're going to turn in a moment. But listen, it's in your notes and it's on the screen. Proverbs 18, 21. Notice that. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now let that sink in. That your tongue, your speech, your words have within it the power to produce life or death, to build and motivate and encourage or tear down, ruin and destroy. There's a lot of power in this tongue, in our speech, in our words. Heard about a man who came home in the middle of the day and his, his wife asked him what he was doing home early. and He said, well, the boss and I had a, had a fight and he wouldn't take back something that he said, so I just left. And the wife was proud of him for standing up for what he believed. And then she asked him, well, what did he say that he wouldn't take back? And her husband said, he said, you're fired. <laughs> Words have power. What you say has power in the life of the people you supposedly love. How you say it has power. It has power over you. So look at what God says. Some very practical stuff in James chapter 3, starting at verse 2. He said, we all stumble in many ways. And Hey, that's true, isn't it? We all have different issues we struggle with. And then he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, if you do a good job speaking, you know how to talk. That's not one of the areas where you fall down all the time. He said, if, if you know how to filter your, your speech, how to talk well, Notice what he says. He's a perfect man. He's a mature man, able to bridle the whole body as well. You know what God is saying there? God is saying if you have the ability to monitor your speech, to talk the right way, you probably have the strength of character to be the right kind of person in other parts of your life. God is also saying that if you don't have the ability to at times put a filter you don't have the ability at times to speak the right way, it probably points to the fact that you lack the strength of character to do it the right way in other parts of your life as well. Because one of the things Jesus taught us was that most of what comes out here originates in here.
And, and there's a connection between how we talk with people and how we talk about people. There's a connection between that and who we really are. That's the reason in this same book of the Bible, James chapter 1, verse 26, he said, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. There, there is a connection, God says, between how you talk with people and how you talk about people and what's really going on inside of who you are. And if you think there's, a, there's not, that, that, that your words don't reveal anything about the real you, you're deceiving yourself. There's a disconnect somewhere because your religion shapes you in here and it shapes you here. So how we talk matters. It matters because God says it says something about who we really are, where we're at in our, in our life and in our relationships and in our relationship with God at that moment in time. But it also has an impact on our relationships, on the quality of those relationships. So let's look at some of the practical things he says here. Verse 3. Verse 3. He said, if we, if we put the, the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. How many of you have ever ridden a horse? Right, big old animal. Now, that bit, that usually metal on the bridle goes in the mouth and you can control the horse. And that one little bit just in the mouth enables you to direct that very large, very powerful animal. And he's, he's getting ready in this passage to make the point that, that if you can put a bit in your mouth, then you, you can set your life in a positive direction. But if you don't put a bit in your mouth, then probably your mouth is going to set your life in some directions that are not so healthy. Pretty powerful image. Verse 4. He said, look at ships also. They, they're so great. They're so big. They're driven by strong winds and are, are directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So you have these large wooden ships with sails in the Mediterranean Sea 2,000 years ago, and the wind catches those sails and pushes those large ships through the water. But at the back of those ships, just like boats today, there's this small thing sticking down in the water called a rudder. And the pilot turns it left or right, and the water against the rudder changes the direction of the boat. And that small rudder sets the direction that the wind, which is blowing, pushes that big old ship. And he's saying, your tongue, it's just, it's just a rudder. It's a rudder. And it's a little thing. But wind's going to blow in your life. Things are going to happen. Storms are going to come. Unexpected events occur. People are going to hurt you. Things are going to happen. And your tongue is the little rudder that can direct your direction, your course in that moment. I put a picture of an airplane up here because airplanes also have rudders. Vertical rudder, horizontal as well. Help The horizontal help him with up and down, but the vertical rudder in particular 
not the stabilizer, but the, the, the vertical rudder as it moves to the left and the right, and it's moving that against the wind, helps with the direction of the plane, whether it turns to the left or to the right. Not the banking, but the turning to the left and right. Little things, so important on the direction of a big ship, of a big plane. So notice what he says in verse 5. The tongue, so also, just, just like the rudder on a boat, the rudder on a plane, the bit on a bridle in a horse's mouth, so also is the tongue in verse 5. It's a small part of the body, yet it boasts great things. It's just a little organ, but, man, what it does is big. It's huge. He continues in verse 5, See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire. Um, last, last fall, the third largest wildfire in, um, in the history of California happened in Yosemite National Park. It burned, I think it was about 257,000 acres. Do you know how big that is, how much, how much that is? That's the equivalent of about half of all of York County. Now, now imagine a fire in which half of the county in which you and I live burned. That's how big that forest fire was. You know how it got started? One man hunting in the forest built an illegal campfire. One man one illegal campfire that he lost control of. One little campfire, he loses control of it, and forest the size of half of York County is burned. And God says, your tongue is it's a little thing like a rudder. It's a little thing like a match. It's like a campfire. But if you're not careful, listen, you've got to understand, it sets the direction of the ship, of the plane, of the horse. It sets the direction of your relationships, of your life. And if you let it set it in the wrong direction, it's like a fire that gets out of control and it consumes everything in its path. God is saying our ability to talk or our inability to talk in a good way has a tremendous influence on the quality of our life and our relationships. And some of you know this because you've already learned it the hard way. Doesn't mean you've taken ownership of it. Doesn't mean you've done anything to get better at it, but you know it matters. Well, I want to challenge us to do more than just know it matters. I want to challenge us to ask God to help us do better so that we reflect on Him more positively, but also so our relationships can be better. Because that's what we want, isn't it? Good relationships. I, I find um, verses 7 and 8 kind of humorous. He, 
In verse 7, he talks about how we've, we've taken all these animals and tamed them to make pets. But we seem to struggle doing that with our tongue, with our speech. He said in verse 8, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. A rest, that image is so powerful, a restless evil. You ever seen somebody who was just restless and fidgety? Just couldn't be still, just had to be doing something all the time. He said that's the way a lot of tongues are. They're just restless. They just got to be, they just got to go. They just got to say it. They're just restless. And when your tongue is restless, if you're not careful, you could be prone to, 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 to a lot of that restless activity of your tongue being evil, doing damage, full of poison. That if we don't learn how to put a bridle on it, we can poison. And when you poison something, you kill it. We, we can kill those relationships that matter the most to us if we don't learn how to talk. Well, the last two verses, verses 9 and 10, he said, with it, with the tongue, with our mouth, with our words, our speech, he said, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the, in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. We take this same mouth and we praise Jesus and then we turn right around and with that same mouth we curse someone else. You know what he's saying? With your speech, you have the ability to bless or curse. With your speech, you have the ability to help or hurt. With your speech, you have the ability to encourage or discourage. With your speech, you have the ability to build up or tear down. With your speech, you have the ability to set your life in a positive direction or a negative direction. Which will it be? Which will it be? How many of you, I know you older ones more so than the younger ones likely, how many of you remember Roger Ebert, the the famous movie film critic? For years, he was on television. He and, um, what was his partner's name? Um, Siskel. Siskel and Ebert. And they were on TV every week talking. This was before the iPhones and the Internet and all of that good stuff. Very famous, okay? At the height of his popularity, his column critiquing movies appeared in over 200, it was syndicated in over 200 newspapers across the country. This is a guy who won a Pulitzer Prize, made his living with his words, both written and spoken. For years, battled cancer. And you can see the picture in the lower right that it did some real damage. His jaw was removed, thyroid issues, all kinds of problems. And for the last six years of his life, Roger Ebert was not able to eat or drink. He lived on a feeding tube. And for the last six years of his life, He was not able to talk. Reading about him, he could not remember the last thing he said. He had so many surgeries over the years, it became just, you know, just all kind of meshed together. And he said it must not have been anything profound because he cannot remember the last word he ever spoke. He can't remember the last thing he said before the surgery when he was no longer able to speak. And we're talking about a man who made his life with words. For the last six years of his life, he kept a spiral notebook with him, and he would write notes and tear the pages out and give them to people or show them. He would, put, he would use sticky notes 
One evening, he and his wife went to one of their favorite uh, restaurants in Chicago where they lived. It was a, a club that, you know, private membership place. And, and so people treated them really nice in there. And she was eating. Of course, he was not because he couldn't. And a friend saw them, came over, joined them, brought his food over and started eating with them. And they, they were having a good time and telling stories and laughing. Of course, he was writing notes and the wife and friend. They were just having a good time. And, and as several minutes passed, it, it, something dawned on his friend and he looked at Roger Ebert and, and he apologized for eating in front of him. I mean, Roger Ebert couldn't eat. And Ebert shook his head no, and he rolled on his pad, no, no, you're eating for me. And when I read that, I thought, here's this guy who was so good with words. And for the last six years, he could, he could not say a single word. Couldn't speak. And you and I, all of us in this room, and those who are watching me on television, you have the ability to speak, to talk. The gift that God has given you, the gift of this tongue and your vocal cords and the instrument that God has blessed you with to say stuff, you still have that gift from God. How are you using it? What are you doing with it? Sometimes we don't realize how precious something is till we don't have it. And we need to be reminded that it is precious. So use our words the way God wants us to. Now, I know we all struggle with this some, some, some more than others, right? We, we, you know, there are, there are some people who on one extreme, they never say anything and they need to learn to talk. And then on the other extreme, we, we have the people who, if they think it, they speak it, right? I mean, there's no filter at all. Whatever the, whatever's in their mind, it comes out. Most of us are somewhere in between. And most days we move somewhere on that spectrum, on that continuum, right? The next two Sundays, we're going to look at some very practical guidance in the Bible for talking the right way. But today, I want to challenge us to take ownership and to say, I want to do a better job. I want to talk well. I want to use this gift of speech in a way that, that blesses and helps, that not hurts my relationships, whether it's with my family, whether it's at work. By the way, th- this will help some of you because some of you will be able to, to do better at work if you will learn how to talk well. How to deal with your emotions better and how that shows up in your speech at work. Can't get more practical than that if you want to keep earning the paycheck. Talking matters. It's a big part of life. But if you're not willing to, t- to take ownership and say, all right, God, I want to do better. I want to learn. I want to grow. Then what I'm going to talk about the next two weeks probably isn't going to help you very much. <clears throat> so here's that key principle. Okay? Here's that key principle. 
is the word surrender. I'm going to challenge me and challenge you, challenge all of us to surrender our thoughts and our words and our emotions and our actions to Jesus. To say, God, here it is, and I give it to you, and stop making excuses. I mean, sometimes we'll joke about somebody or someone will joke about himself or herself and say, well, that's just how he is, and, or they'll say, that's just how I am, and that becomes an excuse for having no filter, an excuse for being a jerk and saying things that are hurting people and ruining relationships. So let me, let me ask you, what are you going to do when you stand before God on Judgment Day and, and God asks you why you said the things you said to people that hurt them and messed up relationships? Are you going to stand before God and say, well, God, that's just the way I was? How do you think God's going to respond? Hmm? That's a cop-out. You know it. I know it. It's a cop-out. Wherever we are in life, wherever we are in this continuum of how how we talk, we can all learn, we can all grow, we can all do better, and we should want to because because we want to be better and we want to help our relationships, not hurt our relationships. So I want to ask you to make a decision today to surrender your words, your speech, and all the stuff that goes in with it, your emotions and all of that. Surrender it to Jesus so that you can grow. And so when we, we look at things the next two weeks, so when we, when we look at listening to someone and really understanding what they're saying before you respond, you take it to heart because you've already said, I'm going to take to heart whatever God is showing me. Okay? So will you surrender it to God? I love that verse. We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and the the Greek word translated in our English Bible as thought is one Paul used several times in Corinthians. He used it to refer to the schemes or the tactics that Satan uses to trick us. He used it to refer to the mind of the Israelites that during the wilderness wandering was hardened against Moses. He used it to refer to the mind of a lost person that had been blinded by Satan to keep them from the gospel and from salvation. He used it to refer to Eve's mind when the serpent deceived her and led her astray. So this word refers to all this stuff that goes on inside of us that shapes that, that comes out. It's, it's the words we speak. It's the thoughts. It's the emotions. It's the reactions. It's, it's all this stuff inside that, that ultimately comes out in plans and schemes and decisions and words and behavior. And I'm asking you and me to take all of that stuff and just lay it at the foot of Jesus and say, Jesus, I belong to you and all of this stuff I'm giving to you. And God, I want you to be the Lord of it. So help me deal with it better. Help me do some of this stuff better. I put in your notes and on the screen this continuous circle. See, I don't know which comes first. I think it's pointless to debate it. I don't. Is it the thought? Is it the emotion? Is it the words? Is it the action, the behavior? What comes first? You know what I've learned in life? It's, it's a vicious circle and one influences the other. My emotions influence my words, right? Well, guess what? My words also influence my emotions. Have you ever started talking and the more you talk, the matter you got? 
Huh? Words influence actions. You say something and there's a reaction. It's a vicious cycle. I don't know which comes first. I don't think it matters which comes first. But I tell you what, we got to start somewhere slowing the circle down. And I think a good place to start is with our words. Because it's a lot easier for me to put a filter on my mouth than it is to overnight change my emotions. So I think a filter on the mouth is a good place to start. And that's what this sermon series is about. How do we how do we talk? Not just how do we not say things, but how do we say the right kind of things? Okay? How do we minimize miscommunication? So surrender it and accept responsibility for how you talk. In other words, be accountable to God. Because the last verse I want you to see is this one in Matthew, where Jesus said that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Now read that to yourself. Go ahead and read it to yourself. That's Jesus talking. I don't know about you, but I've said some careless words. Any of you ever said any careless words? Okay. So God help us to say fewer of them. (laughs) And help us become intentional about saying some really good words words. I want to help you with that the next two weeks, but today I want to challenge us to say, I want that. Because I believe if you say to yourself and you say to God, I want that, I want to do better, then over the next two weeks as we look at how to do better, we will do better. But we have to want it. We have to take ownership. We have to take responsibility and stop making excuses before we do much, right? Because as long as we're still making excuses, we're not going to change much, right? Right? All right? Are you ready? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready. That scent is so weak. I don't think you are. Do that again. Okay, you're ready. God's ready. God wants to help us. God wants to help us, and he will. So I'm, I'm going to ask you, when we sing this song of worship, to just talk to the Lord. And just like you said to the person around you, I'm ready. I want you, I want you to say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready to, to learn. Listen, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We're not going to be perfect till heaven, but we can get better. And I want you to say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready for you to teach me. I'm ready to get better. I want relationships that last. I want relationships that work. I want to be a blessing to people. God, I'm ready. I want you to say that to Jesus when we sing this song. Pray it to him. Come and kneel here at this altar and pray. Join this church. Give your heart to Jesus. Pastors are here. Let's stand together. Sing this great song. You come and make your decisions for Christ right now. Come quickly while we sing together. Come on. Steve and Jamie are here at the front. You come on right now.